This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders. Was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. The town may be kind of small, but these folks have big smiles and big hearts. And they know what it is to have simple fun down our way. For old-fashioned singing and homey gatherings make living mighty pleasant. And now I'm stuck with like 600 goddamn CDs oh, that I can't do a fucking look at, thing with. Look at with. this. I mean, you know, I we condensed everything down to booklets because it was just taking up too much space. How are they arranged alphabetically? Are you oh, kidding? No. Of course they are. Of course. <laughs> up, up, <laughs> up, up here, that is that that start. <laughs> that's a right up there, okay. and then it goes it goes across the top. It goes all the way down, and then it starts okay. over here, and then it goes all the way down, then starts over there. <laughs> And then I've got some box sets up top. I've got box sets over here you can't see off the side. Now, within the A's, let's say it's Led Zeppelin, do you have them arranged in chronological order? No, I don't. Chronologically, who has the time? (laughs) Keith, you strike me as the kind of guy that was deeply moved by the scene in John Cusack's High Fidelity where he contemplates what is the best way to organize my record collection. Is Is it by genre is it by alphabetical is it by you know this is this is my breakup with cindy section and this is my breakup with alice section and for me i was like oh this is my people yeah yeah that rang very true and now of course my vinyl collection is downstairs in the living room i I hate drawing Welcome to Abandoned Albums, the documentary podcast where we take a closer look at some albums that may have been forgotten about over time, some albums you might not even know existed, and some albums by up-and-coming artists we think you should know about. I'm your host, Keith R. Higgins, and joining me once again, the incomparable Mr. Jeff Calhoun. Uh, paper doesn't give many details. Tell me about this. On this episode of Abandoned Albums, Jeff and I talk with Ryan Humbert of the Akron, Ohio-based band, The Shootouts. Get down. The shootouts are everything you'd want in a band, regardless of genre. They're great musicians, great songwriters with an incredible work ethic, and they genuinely kick ass. The shootouts are Ryan Humbert on lead vocals and guitar, Emily Bates on backing vocals, Brian Poston on lead guitar, and Kevin McManus on bass and backing vocals. Jeff and I got the chance to talk with lead gunslinger Ryan Humbert about the band's upcoming third album, Stampede, which drops on February 24th. 
The three of us talked about all kinds of stuff, and the amount of chatter that was left on the cutting room floor could make up a whole other episode. But alas, we have strict guidelines, as dictated by our executive producer, Rufus Thunderlove. With that being said, here is Jeff and I having a banger conversation with Ryan from the Shootouts. Well, welcome, Ryan. Glad we finally got you connected here. Yeah, thank you so much for asking me to be here, too. First of all, congratulations on the best honky-tonk group nod. Yeah. Now, is that your first or second? That's your second one? Is that correct? Second, Yeah, second time. And, and I'll tell you what, it's, it's funny because, um, you know, this band was started as a side project. Like, we never meant to be a full-time band. It was literally Brian Poston and I saying, God, we just love real country music. We love when when all of the traditional forms of the genre are represented. You know, we wish that more of that was represented in the mainstream. And let's just go out and have fun, and we don't care if anybody even shows up. You know, I mean, it was meant to be a labor of love. And here we are now, uh, you know, a few years down the road and, and getting nominated for, for things like this with Best Honky Tonk Group and stuff. It's really, really validating and, uh, and, and really it means a lot when, when you can kind of follow your heart and, and go after a project and, and have it be recognized like that. Yeah, absolutely. It began as a side project. What was your project at the time? Yeah, I was just doing singer-songwriter stuff under my own name, and that's how Brian and I met, our, our guitarist for the shootouts, Brian Poston. He was uh, my guitarist in my original project uh, for only about a year before we started the shootouts, and then it really was like getting hit by a bolt of lightning, and, and I, I've said that numerous times because it's really how it felt. Uh, we did that very first show, and, and I felt like we were on to something. It all just kind of clicked. You grew up in Akron, right? Yeah, the general Akron. I grew up in Dayton. Okay. I'm looking behind you, and I'm and I see all these CDs. Was it country or rock that influenced you? And I mean, Akron is yeah. When I think of Akron, I, I don't necessarily think of country. No, you think of Devo, and you think of the Black Keys and the Pretenders, and yep. uh, gosh, check, you know, check, check. <laughs> yep, yep, uh, and you know, and even when you go north a little bit, you go to Cleveland, you've got you know, Nine Inch Nails and Tracy Chapman and Screamin' Jay Hawkins. And, you know, I mean, there's there's a, you know, the Raspberries, uh, of yeah. course, Cleveland's native son, Michael Stanley. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's definitely a rock and roll edge, you know, throughout, throughout the Rust Belt. When I was growing up, uh, country music was kind of all around me between my grandpa, my dad, my mom. And uh, I've always loved it ever since I was a kid. When I was kind of in my, I would, you would maybe call your formative music years, I was doing two things, three things. I was rooting through my dad's record collection when he would, when he was at work and I would listen to Pure Prairie League and Bob Seger and Jackson Brown and Waylon Jennings. And, uh, and then when, when my mom was driving me around, you know, to soccer practice and stuff as a kid, she was listening to country radio. Now that was in the nineties when country radio was still largely what you would say is country, you know, it's George Strait and Dwight Yoakam and the Mavericks and Patty Loveless and, and all of that stuff was heard regularly. And, and, uh, and then my grandpa, when I first started playing guitar, uh, we would do, you know, I would play guitar for him to sing old country gospel tunes in his basement. Wow. That's you know, so, so cool. all of that stuff just kind of, kind of, you know, clicked. And the same thing with our guitarist, Brian. I mean, when, when he was growing up, uh, you know, 
his same thing, his grandparents, his family members, they, he was surrounded by country. Even Emily Bates, long time, my longtime backup singer, yeah. um, with the shootouts, she grew up singing harmony to Judd's songs with her with her dad and brother in the in the car, you know. I love how how your fans call or refer to you as country for people who don't like country. Because <laughs> it's perfect. You know? It is. It is. And it, it works. And you know, I, I'm okay with that. I think that country music nowadays can get a bit of a bad rap. Mm-hmm. And uh and and just don't get me wrong, sometimes it's rightfully so. You know, I, I get it. Just just like uh, a lot of genres, you know, have the uh the stuff that you might not want to listen to. But um you know, I think country sometimes can be a dirty word to people. I think people don't necessarily know even what the hell country music means. Right. Uh, one of one of my favorite stories, and I've used this uh, a lot because I think it's so perfect. One of my best friends, he said, you know, my mom hates country music. And I said, oh, oh okay, that's fair. And I said, well, w- what's your favorite band? And he said, the Eagles. Of course. And, and the Eagles were a country band, essentially. They, they did many songs that were rooted in, in country music, like a lot of those rock bands at that time. And, and they were rockers, but they were, they were leaning country. The Birds did it. I mean, it, you know, so many bands did it. I think that uh, a lot of folks don't know what they like. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just think that, like, sometimes people, like, you can't, you can't like something if you don't know it exists. And so, you know, if people don't know that, that you can still go out and find you know, country music that is rooted in the in the classic parts of the genre. Uh, you know, how are they gonna how are they gonna fall in love with it unless unless bands like us are out there spreading the gospel? You know, a couple of years ago, I was watching that Ken Burns country music documentary. Yeah. You it was know, really it outstanding. Was, it was amazing. Yeah. I cannot stress that enough. Yeah. And you know, I am not a country music guy, but I was so engaged, and he covered everything so well, which leads me to Marty Stewart. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was like, I watched him in that. And I'm like, mother, what the? F- how yeah. have I been missing this? And then you get him on the record, and that first track, yeah, boom, comes at you. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Thank you. Marty is somebody that that as a band we look up to and I look up to him personally for many reasons as well. But, you know, Marty is carrying the torch. I mean, Marty is out there. Uh, he has he has developed into this elder statesman of the of the country music world where he see I if I had to guess 
I think he sees his role as as carrying the torch for real country music. And he's trying to do his best to make sure that, that those parts of the genre are not lost. And luckily, his work is paying off. You know, I mean, he just started his own museum down in his um, his hometown in Mississippi. If I'm not mistaken, he is one of or the largest collector of country music memorabilia outside of the Country Music Hall of Fame. Wow. He he has, you know, he spent his life in country music since a very young age. He has. And he's doing his best to keep that alive and, and also to to hand that stuff down to guys like like the shootouts, like us as well. And, you know, we told him how much it meant to us that he was willing to to do this. And he said, you always have a friend here in in Nashville. And and I think part of the reason that we've had such amazing support from guys like him and Ray Benson and Chuck Mead and, you know, Jim Lauderdale, Buddy Miller, Raul Malo of the Mavericks, these folks that have been kind enough and generous enough to join us on this album and last album, is that I think they probably see a little bit of themselves in the shootouts. I can see that. Is is there... I don't want to say a rift, but is is there a line of demarcation in the country music scene between people wanting to embrace the new, maybe poppier? And and I say this, I'll give you a specific example, Ryan. Sure. I I say this in in part because I remember so well. I think it was it was either 2019 or 2020, where the CMAs left off John Prine. Yeah. They left off. Uh, uh, Jerry, Jerry Jeff Walker and Billy sure. Joe Shaver, sure. and and Jason Isbell turned his card in. He was like, "No, I don't want this. is This is a new wave of country that I don't want to be a part of." He says, due to CMA's failure to mention John Prine, Jerry Jeff Walker, and Billy Joe Shaver at the CMA's last night, Amanda Shires and I have decided to return our membership cards. I doubt anybody will care, but we cared a lot about our heroes. You know, mainstream country has always gone in circles a little bit, and I think that we hit a point a while ago where the bro country thing took over, mm. and the pop country took over, and having country that has, uh, instead of having a fiddle mixed in, it has drum loops and a, and, a, and rap, uh, hip-hop drum beats and things like that. And, and while I, I can understand the appeal to that, I can understand why people would like that. And, it's, you know, um, I have a lot of friends that, that like that stuff. And I, 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 again, I can understand it. A lot of times it's just they just want to have fun. And that music is is um, is definitely geared towards that oftentimes. You know, we're having a beer down by the river with at a truck. And it's all kind of the same story, though, oftentimes. Mm-hmm. But, and again, there's a place for that. There is a place for that. But I think that the thread that has been a part of country music since it began, at least I believe is the whole thing, the three chords and the truth, right? And so if you want to find today's Chris Christofferson's and you want to find today's Guy Clark's and John Prine's and and, and all of those artists that that were doing, Lucinda Williams, you know, all these artists that were doing this stuff, the really heavy songwriting-based country, there is still a place for that. It's just now called Americana. And uh, you kind of have these two camps running side by side i think to answer your question jeff you have these two two camps running side by side oftentimes people will some people will straddle that well some people won't um you know a guy like jason isbell do i ever see him having a hit on country radio probably not does he care not at all 
He's ha- he's doing quite well, you know, um, and he's getting to do things on his own terms. I mean, I think that's all you can ask for as an artist. And I mean, I would imagine that Jason would tell you the same thing. He's getting to make the music he wants and it's finding an audience. Whether you call it country or rock or Americana, it almost doesn't matter. The days of, of genres uh, aren't maybe as important as they used to be as far as, you know, you used to have to go to a, a record store and look in a country section or a rock section or whatever. And all those, all those artists that colored along the uh, outside of the lines a little bit yeah. had to be pigeonholed because it's where how you, how you had to find them. Nowadays with, with Spotify and YouTube and title and all that shit, I, I don't, I don't know if it, if it matters as much. Okay. But as a, as a artist who I think does care about sure. I mean you have an intentionality oh for sure to, to your music I mean like yes. I, I don't know that honky tonk is the word I don't know that's that's specifically right. what you set out to but I mean traditional country is certainly the goal for sure for sure and and here's the thing you're not going to see a shootouts record where we're doing stuff that sounds like you know the pop country on the radio and that's just a preference that I, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that that stuff is better or worse than what we're doing. Uh, maybe I wouldn't say it publicly, but <laughs> that's not, never on the record, never on the record. But, <laughs> but that being said, um, you know, we have a mission, we have a goal, we have, uh, a, you know, something that, that we love, which is the country music that is rooted in the tradition, uh, traditional parts of the genre. And that's what we choose to make. Now, whether or not that's going to appeal to somebody that likes mainstream country, well, that I can't really say. And if it does, great. If it doesn't, that's okay, too. There's there's somebody else out there that is still looking for those aspects of the genre that are being excluded elsewhere. What are the core elements? Because I think if I... We'll do a checklist. Sure. And, and you tell me yeah, how let's... close I am. What are, <laughs> what are the key ingredients? Do you have to have a pedal steel to be a honky-tonk band? Uh, I would say yes and no. I mean, we it's funny. We don't have a full-time pedal steel player on the road, but we have pedal steel on, on every record. I was talking to Keith before we did the interview. Yeah. I said, you know, the shootouts played one of – and I spent some time in Cleveland. So, sure. uh, you know, I uh, love the city. I saw two performances on YouTube. One was at the Rock Hall. Yeah. Where you didn't have the pedal steel player. Mm-hmm. The other was what at, in one of my favorite – rooms of all time the music box supper club yeah where you did have the pedal steel player and yes. you guys sounded <laughs> wonderful in that thank room. you yeah it's i'll tell you what we love the music box i was literally just talking with colleen uh from there uh I, like literally four days ago about trying to find a time to get us back there it's been a minute since the band's been there so we're going to try to see if we can get back there uh in in 2023 but we we did have a pedal steel player that played with us full-time until a medical injury kind of sidelined him from being able to play Steel. Now, he is still a huge part of the band. We rehearse at his house. He helps us, you know, um, in the studio. He writes songs with us still. He helps when we're arranging stuff. We're oftentimes still working with him. Um, He just unfortunately is unable to to play or tour, uh, you know, live like that. But but we like to lovingly refer to him as kind of our Obi-Wan Kenobi now. Uh, he's a terrific player. He's great. He's unbelievable, and and as good of, as a of a steel player is, he's an even better songwriter. What a nice compliment. Uh, so go, moving down the list, yeah, you guys embrace the wardrobe. Yeah. yeah, 
T- tell me about that. Is is it necessary to be a honky tonk band and 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 dress the part? Some people would tell you no. Uh, I think some people would say yes. My our my belief system in it is that, and, and and I'll tell you this doesn't even just apply to music. This this applies to anything. You dress for the job you want, mm. and if if you know if you get a job as a as a baker and you show up dressed as an auto mechanic, that sends mixed messages. You know, uh, you know, if 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 you're showing up for a job, you should you should be there, um, uh, you know, with the intention of doing that job in every aspect, even if it means having to to dress a, dress a certain way. You know, what we looked at as what all the artists that we idolized and that we modeled the band after and that 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 influence our music and everything, they took their appearance very seriously. Hmm. And there, there's also just something kind of fun about it. I think also it kind of gets people to turn their heads a little bit. And uh, and I'll, it's kind of a fun thing when somebody stops and they say, wow, look at those guys. Like they're wearing, you know, Western wear and sequence and embroidery and all stuff. And then we can back it up. Yeah. And there's something kind of fun about that. And it also pays tribute to, to what came before, the heritage of the genre. Uh, you know, that's why guys like Marty and the Superlatives are doing it. I mean, you know. It shows it's a sign of respect for the genre, I believe. I think it's dressing for the job you want. I think that it also puts you in a mindset that would be different than if I showed up wearing a t-shirt and jeans uh, and and tried playing the same music. I it's just it, to me, it's a very important part of what we do. Interesting. I've got a third box to see if we agree on the okay. on the checklist. <laughs> All right, so we've got the pedal steel check. We've got the wardrobe check. Do you have to love whiskey? I do, but it's not, I don't think it's a requirement. (laughs) (laughs) I very much like your song, Rattlesnake Whiskey. Thank you. I think it's um, sort of emblematic of of the genre. Sure. funny story about that song. I wrote that song as part of a project I did for a local arts organization. They asked me to write some songs based on a book that was written about the history of a town here in Ohio. And so I wrote that song and I didn't really do much with it. And then we started playing it with the shootouts. 
and it became a, a pretty quick fan favorite at live shows. And that was even before our very first record came out. That was before Quick Draw. Mm. And while we were in the studio, we were cutting songs and, and it was one that just for whatever reason, whatever weird juju was in the air that day, we didn't get a good take of it. We tried to take her to and we said, it's not working. It's probably not meant for this record. Let's move on. And I will tell you what, we had a lot of people that, that were like, where the hell's Rattlesnake Whiskey when the first record came out? And so we didn't really feel like we had much of a choice <laughs> for record number two. That was the song that Chuck Mead produced from the Bullseye record. He he understood, I think, what we were trying to go for right off the bat with that one. And and since then, it has become a a, a staple of the show. It's a fan favorite, and uh, it it it's it kind of is in the tradition of a of a classic country story song. That is the only song from any of our albums that is in a minor key. Huh. That adds that little bit of darkness and spookiness. That uh, that key of A minor. <laughs> Why'd they turn off the lights? Maybe they blow a fuse. I don't think so, man. Those lights are off on purpose. Okay, we gotta figure out something these people like and fast. Hey, I've got it. Remember the theme from Rawhide? The old favorite, Rowdy Yates. What key? Hey, good country key. Rawhide and A. I want to ask you about, you know, and for those people that don't know, and I know very little, and Jeff may know a little bit more, and you certainly know more, about that Bakersfield sound. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, going back a little bit, when we, when we again, when we started the shootouts, we identified what we loved about the, the classic parts of the genre, right? And, and a lot of that boiled down to artists. But also, there are definitely very distinct sounds. Um that you can almost pinpoint to like regions in the country. Oh yeah. And and that's and obviously blues is like that to a point. Um you know the the again because it's such an old genre. I don't think rock and roll is quite as 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 much in the same category. But, I might um, I might disagree with you on that one Ryan because if you think of like east well, coast and rock you, and again, west coast rock, you might rock, know better, you know. Well, that's true too. You know? That's true. That's a good point, by the way. But when you're, you know, you're talking about what was happening on the West Coast in the country music world, yeah. you had two distinct sounds over there. You had the country rock mm -hmm. um, of the, like, the Laurel Canyon exactly. and all those guys that were out in that neck of the woods. And then you had Bakersfield. And yeah. the Bakersfield sound is interesting. I, I, I don't really know the history of how it shaped into what it was. I think that the Bakersfield country, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of that may have been rooted in some of the rockabilly roots of the genre. That makes sense. And I think if you take some of that rockabilly and you mix it with what was happening in Nashville, you might get the Bakersfield sound. But, you know, that was just one of the one of the branches of the genre that we said 
we love everything coming out of Bakersfield. We loved the Buck Owens sound. We loved the Dwight Yoakam sound. All those yeah. guys that were in that that wheelhouse there. But we also really loved Western Swing, and we really loved what was coming out of Texas. And um, you know, Bob Wills and yes. the Texas Playboys, and and all of the Texas, of course, Willie and George Strait, and all that Texas stuff as well as the red dirt scene. Uh, and then, of course, Asleep at the Wheel. I mean, you know, they basically have taken the mantle. I think it was like Bob Wills and now, uh, and Texas Playboys. Yeah. And now it's Asleep at the Wheel. They took that mantle. And then, of course, there's the Nashville sound, which obviously was a little more commercial. Um, if you go back to the days of Owen Bradley and Chad Atkins and all that stuff that was happening, um, the Contrapolitan stuff, I love some of that, you know, with it loaded with strings and the Patsy Cline sound. Um, and so... You know, you take all of that and you mix it all together, and then, like I said, you kind of filter it through our our uh, distinct Ohio roots. Yeah, and I think that's where that's where you get our sound. And I think we've I think we've done a good job of wearing our hearts on our sleeve, but still doing it our own way. Jeff and I were talking before you jumped on the on the call with us about Ohio, and like when I decided to go back to Cleveland, I wasn't totally sure they was gonna welcome me back, man. But they did. They welcomed me back with open arms and an open heart. Yeah, they did. Again, I feel like that applies more to you. Um, like, I don't even live in Cleveland. But again, I appreciate the thought. Cleveland, Ohio? You talking about the home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Or maybe we go down to Canton to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You know Superman was created in Cleveland? Yeah, no, I know Superman was created in Cleveland. You've told me that a number of times. You ever seen Cuyahoga Sunset? No. Do you know Cleveland's great for the whole family? Yes, yes, yes I do. You tell me that. All the time. You randomly just text me that. I was wrong. It's weird. It's weird. I got free texting. Why are you trying to always sell me on Cleveland? When are you gonna come to Cleveland? I'll I'll I'll, I'll come when I have the uh, the time. I just don't have the time right now. I'll come when I have the time. I've just been really busy. You visit me in Miami all the time. Yeah, but that's Miami. What's the difference between Miami and Cleveland? It's the same. You're right. It's the same. Exactly. Are you from Dayton? Is that correct? Yeah. 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 In all candor, I hated growing up in Ohio. I left a month after <laughs> high school and it came to the East Coast. But I, I look back now and it, quite fondly on it because there is so much going on in that state. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and Jeff and I were talking. It's like, it's definitely the Rust Belt. You know, you can have a major metropolitan area. You can go to, you know, Appalachia. You can go to a city. You can go to yeah. a country. There's so much there. How do you think that influence you as an artist you know uh gosh you know the the as far as the rust belt goes and this is yeah. not just ohio but a little bit of pa and some of the other surrounding states sure. michigan and wherever uh th i think there seems to be a work ethic a hundred percent yeah of the folks in the work the rust belt that uh i know i come from a long line of hard workers i for example i just got back from a vacation first vacation i've taken in a while went with three friends down to mexico for five days and the idea was like okay we're getting ready to launch an incredibly busy year let me try to relax a little bit and i'm just not good at it <laughs> just not <laughs> i'm not good at not working i'm not good at at relaxing and i come from a long line of that my dad is the same way he's he's uh, owned his own business now for I got 44 years, I think. Wow. I think that, that there's this, this work ethic that runs through the Rust Belt that uh, certainly has been beneficial to me as a musician uh, and, and especially as of the leader of, of the shootouts. I mean, I'm kind of our um, de facto, you know, uh, commander in chief of, of, sure. of operations. And I think some of that, that, that hardened Rust Belt work ethic 
it allows you to, to be able to take a no for an answer and 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 not and move on. It allows you to keep your nose to the grindstone. It allows you to weather the storm when times are tough. Uh, it allows you to to persevere. It allows you to to really buckle down and and stay a couple extra hours in the studio when you're tired and just want to go home. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just think that a lot of a lot of that. I think I see in the people that are have grown up in this area as well, whether they're a musician or they're in another another field. I think you know we're all a product of our surroundings, and Correct. I think that's where that comes from. I was just talking to a friend of mine, and we were on the phone, and this goes back. I was dating a girl, and she said, "You know what do you like about me?" <laughs> I shit you not, the first thing out of my mouth. Well, you've got a good work ethic. I can tell you that's not something a woman wants to hear. No, probably not. You chose poorly, Keith. Yeah. I did. I did. She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> tried to backpedal myself out of Oops. that one. <laughs> I would have to remember that one. That's great. I mean, you know, but it's funny. I mean, I would rather have somebody tell me they believe I have a good work ethic than they like my eyes. You know, I mean, I don't know. I just think that uh, at the end of the day, you know, that that work ethic is something that that can carry you a long way. Oh yeah, you know. I, and I'll tell you what I told the band when we started. I said, I believe in the shootouts more than I've ever believed in anything I've ever done, musically or otherwise. And I said, I know that we're on to something here, and I will not rest until we are doing what we want to be doing the way we want to be doing it, working with folks that that we want to work with. And, and and getting to spread a message that we want to spread. And, you know, I still believe that. I still – I live by that when it comes to working working for and, and with and, and promoting and, and, and writing for the shootouts, every bit of that. Uh, that's That was my promise to the band and to myself, and, and it still holds true. Yeah, to that end, I mean, three records in five years – Jeff and I, again, Jeff and I were talking. It's like, that's old school. That's yeah. not something a lot of artists do anymore. No, and we're trying to keep up with Charlie Crockett is what we're doing. <laughs> 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 Which, I mean, I'll tell you what, I love Charlie, man, but two records a year is, that Oof. is a, a ball-busting uh, schedule. But that being said, you know, I just felt like with every men- every record, we've seen a little bit more momentum. Yep. Um, and I mean, if you look at the the growth between Quick Draw and Bullseye, and now between Bullseye and Stampede, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. I'm really excited to see what happens between Stampede and whatever the heck we do next. I have a third album theory. Okay. I think bands or artists that break on their third record have more sustainability. And longevity in their in the career because if you look at let's see um, Springsteen, Springsteen, perfect example, right? Bon Jovi even, um, right? You can go on. I mean, the Police, sure, on and on and on, and they, sure. they built these legendary careers. So I think you're on point. Well, I, I appreciate that, and we're trying. You know, we're working hard, and and that's all we can ask for, right? I mean, somebody said, well, what? You know, what do you want out of out of the shootouts? What do you what do you consider to be a success? And I said, look, I I don't think we're going to be the type of band that is uh, selling out football stadiums. And that's OK. Right. But if if we can make the music that we enjoy making and and find an audience that connects with that and enjoys that as well. And if we could go and sell out, you know, 500 seat venues for the rest of our career, I'd be a happy man. Yeah, for sure. 
You know, I mean, we just, it's, it's, uh, it's to me, I think it's more about like, yeah, we, of course we want to be successful. Who would lie and tell you otherwise. Right. But, uh, I, I, we, we also, we want to be able to do it on our terms and we want to be able to make friends with the folks that are coming to see us and, and, and that are interested in all these different parts of the country genre that we try to, to try to dip our toes into and, and hopefully, you know, hopefully succeed, um, yeah, I mean, what else can you ask for? I mean, I, to find people that connect with your music, some would say you're already a success. I, I want to talk about this this pandemic theme. It's been a recurring theme on the <laughs> podcast for the past sure. probably five or six episodes where so many of our favorite musicians, when there was nothing else to do, sat around and thought, let's release some cover songs. Yeah, yeah. And and you guys had a great 7-inch. Now, while it, I think the easy path would have been to have gone down the road where, you know, oh, let's do something like she's acting single, I'm drinking doubles. But you went Whitney Houston, bro. <laughs> to be fair, Whitney Houston stole a country song. We were just trying to steal one back. You know, so <laughs> it's, and, and listen, and I say that with, with full uh, full respect, Whitney Houston, one of the best singers of all time. I, you know, I say that with all of respect. Course. On the hour and the sun begins to fade Still enough time to figure out How to chase my blues away Well I've done alright up till now The light of day still shows me how And when the night falls My lonely heart calls Oh, I want to dance with somebody I want to feel the heat with somebody Oh, I want to dance with somebody With somebody who loves me You know what it was? It honestly was... Uh... We said, let's just have some fun. Like, let's take some songs that you wouldn't expect to hear in a country format. Brian and I, we we searched for a while to try to find a song that we felt would fit what we wanted to do. And I finally heard that one. I played it for Brian and I said, look, I know this is going to sound weird if you hear the original version of this. It, But I think maybe we could do something with it. And he kind of went off and came up with this kind of classic countrypolitan arrangement of it. Uh, and we had fun with it. It's a it's a great arrangement. I listened to it and I thought this song has no right being this good <laughs> in this style. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I'm sure that not everybody agrees, but you know, it's uh, it was it was fun to do. We had a great time doing that stuff, and, and you know, it it uh, it also helps turn people on to the band if they're on Spotify and they're looking for ELO or Whitney Houston and. They stumble across that. They're either going to love it or hate it. And if, but if they love it, hopefully they check out the other stuff. Twice I've heard you mention contrapolitan. Help me on, help us understand what that is because I'm not entirely sure. I've never heard it before. Sure, really. Okay, so uh, back in the day when Nashville took a, a this is probably the 
50s, 60s, neck of the woods. Nashville uh, was obviously making country music that was twangy, as, as, as they did. But at one point, and it really, if I'm not mistaken, it was Owen Bradley and Chet Atkins, who I had mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. that kind of pivoted the country genre a little bit, and they were trying to go uptown a little bit. They were looking for hits. And so if you listen to, like, Patsy Cline, for example, obviously a country artist, to me, she's an example of countrypolitan. It's loaded with strings. It's a little more uh, pop-oriented, if you want to say pop. You, but pop music of that time was very different than pop music now. But, you know, they were trying to get these crossover hits. And a lot of that, um, they brought in elements to country music that weren't there before, like a string court, you know, string section or some of these things that you didn't hear in the traditional hillbilly, quote-unquote, form of the genre. And so, uh, you know, even guys like the Everly Brothers, I mean, Chet Atkins did, you know, discovered them, did a lot of their stuff. Um, There was a pop element to that, even though they were essentially a country band, right? And I think you look back at that now and you say, well, that was pop music. Well, you know, it's it's so different now. But uh, if you go back and listen to some of the country that was coming out of Nashville before those guys, Chet and Owen, got got their got their hands on stuff it was it was definitely different you can notice a uh, a very very distinct change there and not everybody went that direction of course but a lot of artists did and a lot of art i mean willie nelson did as well there a few years ago they did a, an album i think i can't remember the name of it, it might have been called naked willie or something like that and they took a lot of his stuff that he recorded in nashville during that time that was loaded with strings and all this stuff. And they stripped it all off and just kept it more bare bones and tried to, what it might sound like without that, uh, some would say overproduction. Okay. Uh, I, I like it. I, and, and that, that our version of the Whitney Houston song and, and, um, that's kind of a, a layman's term version of it, I think. Which is perfect for someone <laughs> like me, because I'm not real bright, you know? So I, yeah, I obviously, I, you know, as you can tell from the, the, uh, music, select collection back here yeah. uh i also i have my own radio show and i have my own radio station get out yeah i, ha- I run a radio station called the americana roundup uh it's at americanaroundup.com it's free for people to listen to it's a 24 7 streaming channel that i curate i program it's unhosted there's no commercials you know I've, I've loaded thousands of songs in uh classic rock western swing classic country bakersfield all this stuff that we're talking about uh, and so I've slowly but surely, you know, kind of become a bit of a musicologist. That's great. Um, a little bit. And then I have a radio show every Sunday morning on a radio station here in Akron that I, I record from home right here in this office and uh, and send to them every week. And it's a, a show called the Americana Roundup. Okay. Uh, and same thing. Focus on all aspects of the country, uh, new and old, uh, and all that stuff. Please tell me it's the summit. It is the summit. In addition to having lived in Cleveland, I, I currently live in Alabama, but I took the best part of Ohio when I left, which is my wife, uh, who was born in Warren. And so, yeah. you know, a lot of time spent in that Kent, Akron, sure. Warren area. Uh, and the summit's a killer radio station. I, listen, I'll tell you what, man. I, I have been a part of that station on and off since I was in college. Uh, I've, I, I am very passionate about what they do, they, uh, and uh, especially with the program director that's been there for about the last five, six years, uh, Brad Savage. He has come in and really, uh, really, uh, how do I say this, expanded the music that was being played. He, he, he started coloring around the edges. He started bringing in different genres. It is now a true music lover station, more than it's ever been. 
and uh, he's winning national awards for his work there too. So yeah. it's it's it is an absolutely amazing station. They've really embraced the Americana genre outside of everything else they do there. And uh, and as it turns out, now the show I, I'm getting ready. I'm coming up on 250 episodes. Oh, good wow. For you. Uh, on, at the summit and uh, and have a very steady listenership and even during fun drives we get people that call and say they love the Americana Roundup and that's why they're why they're donating uh, and that makes and then on top of it Brad Savage has incorporated a lot of that Americana uh, into the regular playlist as well so uh, I hope I'd like to think that maybe I had some sort of influence on that and hopefully that's the case and it seems like it's been for the better that is fantastic. It's a great station. I mean, anybody out there that is looking for a true music uh, station that is curated still on a local level and, and by real yeah. people that care about what they're doing and care about the music they're playing, uh, the summit.fm is the website, and they you can stream them from anywhere in the world on a phone app as well. Uh, you know, my show happens to be on Sunday mornings, but there isn't really a bad time to listen to that station. That sounds like a rarity in today's radio market. It really is. <laughs> Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this commercial is going to use subliminal, subliminal, subliminal advertising. That means you will never see or hear the name of the product. This way you sit back, relax, and enjoy me as I tell you this rather funny story. It seems that these three men decided to take a trip. I have to give you a tip of the hat to the name of the band. Thank you. It encapsulates your sound. When I listen, when I read the shootouts, it's like, okay, I know, I think I know what I'm going to hear. And you deliver. That's awesome. You know, it's, it's funny. We actually had a slightly different name when we started. Uh, you know, we, it took us a while to come up with the name and we, and I was the one that came up with the, with the name, uh, because I wanted something that was reminiscent of the bands of yeah. yesterday. Buck Owens and the Buckaroos, Merle Haggard and the Strangers, uh, Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys. We wanted something that was kind of fun and slightly tongue-in-cheek, maybe, and just... So we came up with the name Shooter Sharp okay. and the Shootouts. And it was... And, and again, this was meant to be a side project. We didn't really care. It was just kind of like, ah, this is... It's fun, and people will kind of get it and whatever. It just became a tongue twister. And uh, we did a show with Radney Foster, who has become a friend of the band, and... Uh, and he said, have you ever, th and we were talking about shortening the name of the shootouts and this was before the first record even came out. So it was early on. And he said, uh, you ever thought about shortening the name of the band? And I said, yeah, we kind of, we have actually. And he said, I think you guys should just be the shootouts. And, and I said, well, that was all we needed. But for Radney Foster to say that, uh, that was the final decision and we never looked back. That's your Facebook moment, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. I think the visualization uh, the artwork on all of your releases, it's very, and, and I, it, when I say on brand, I think some people might take that as an insult. I don't mean it that way at all. No, I think, I think all of the visualization around the way you present yourselves is super on brand and specific and, and crisp and, and thank you. I love it. That, that means a lot that you say that. So, uh, my background outside of music is graphic design and marketing. Ah, okay. So, I do all of our artwork. I've done all three album covers. Uh, I do our, our website, any graphics that you see from the band. I design all our T-shirts. I design everything. And, and I kind of get off on all of that behind-the-scenes stuff just as much as I do being on stage. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't have a manager yet. 
uh, I kind of am the manager and it's, it's, we've even had people that have told us like, we don't work with bands without managers, but you've got your shit together more than most managers do. <laughs> uh, and I, I take that as a, you know, a huge compliment because I am very hands-on when it comes to all the art, the marketing, uh, our image, everything. I, I have a, 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 I have my hands on every bit of that because I think that the minute you take your hands off of that and trust others, that things have more potential to go, go haywire. And, and I, and listen, I hope that we get to a point where I've got folks helping me with that. Trust me. It, it's a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but, um, you know, I, I can feel good about the decisions that are being made and the success that we're seeing, knowing that, that we have our hands on the wheel. I appreciate you saying that, by the way, because I'm a huge fan as, as a marketing guy. I'm a huge fan of consistency in branding, consistency in messaging, uh, and, and, and staying on point, staying on message, all that. I think that's incredibly important because we're all inundated nowadays. Everybody is literally jam-packed with content coming at them from every direction all the time. Yeah. The more uh, the more on-brand and the more uh, you can create an identity there, the more people will start to recognize. I agree. How did you connect with all these people that are contributing to Stampede? Gosh, yeah. It's like an Americana wet dream. <laughs> you know? Can I quote you on that? Yeah, by all means. <laughs> That's going in the bio sheet, by the way. Gosh, you know, I mean, it's some of it is is again was hard work. Some of it was just playing a lot. I mean, I met Raul Malo opening for him multiple times, and we stayed in touch. Uh, and actually, he's friends with. And again, he's friends with Ray Benson. So when we we did a show opening for Raul, we said, "Hey, your buddy Ray is producing our new record." And Emily said, "Any chance you want to sing with us?" Wow. And he said, "Sure, I'd be happy to." Um, you know, met Jim Lauderdale and Chuck Mead through um, through same thing shows. We opened for Jim. Uh, I also interviewed uh, Jason Ringenberg, Chuck Mead, and Jim Lauderdale when they were doing their Cosmic Honky Tonk. I okay. interviewed the three of them for a radio event. Wow. That's how I met Chuck Mead. Very cool. Uh, gave him a copy of the record, and he was very, very kind and appreciative. And I ran into him at Americana Fest and said, hey, you ever listen to that record? He said, yeah, I loved it. And I said, any chance you'd want to produce a record for us? He said, I think I would. Wow. So, you know, and Marty Stewart, same thing. We, we Marty with Marty, uh, I have, we do have a mutual friend uh, that kind of made Marty aware of us, and, and he was very kind in, in his uh, interaction with or about the band. And then we did a show with, with them, and he had already knew who we were, and... Uh, him and the superlatives could not have been more kind to us. You know, I think that I, I, this kind of goes back to what I said earlier. I think that like these guys, I think are can see that we mean business. We're we're we are, we're not uh, trying to to be something that we're not. We're not. We're tr really trying to do country music on our own terms, and that's mm -hmm. something that all of these guys have done. Yeah. And so I think that maybe, you know, they see a little bit of themselves in us, if I had to guess. We said, okay, we're going to work with Ray and the wheel. That's a big deal. Yeah. And and how can we, what can we do to take that one step further even? And uh, and we said, let's see if, uh, one, of our, uh, one of our team members, she said, yeah, maybe you should ask some of your friends to join you guys on this record. And... Uh, and I don't think in her wildest dreams she expected I would come back with <laughs> with the five that we, you know, the four or five people that are guesting. But, yeah. um, you know, it is it is an absolute honor. Uh, one, one thing I'll, I'll tell you that um, was really special, <clears throat> really special, is when I was growing up, 
and I did not get a lot of my musical upbringing from my mom. She's is not a huge. She wasn't a huge music lover, uh, in, in the sense that she liked music, but she never. She wasn't a music head like like we obviously are, yeah, right? Yeah. And so she was listening to country radio at that time, and her favorite band at that time was the Mavericks. Okay. And I remember being a kid, and her driving me around, and sh- and she had a cassette single of a song of theirs from their second album. It was called I Should Have Been True. Beautiful song. And when you want to talk about Contrapolitan, that, that's a great example for you. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful ballad of theirs. And she played that song over and over and over again. And so I owe being a Mavericks fan to my mom. So she, you know, of course, fast forward a few years, uh, we start doing some shows with Raul, opening for him solo and such. Um, she developed breast cancer, oh. and she beat it. Oh, great! And right after she beat it, uh, I took her to a Maverick show, and we and we got to hang out with Raul for a little bit, and it was a it was kind of a special moment. Just my mom and I went to the show together, uh, and so she was a Mavericks fan, and I get that from her. Uh, in November of 2018, she passed away unexpectedly. I'm sorry. Sorry to hear that. I appreciate that. Thank you much. And uh, it was very sudden. It was the worst thing I've ever had to deal oh. with. Mm-hmm. And and here we are, a few years past that, and Raul is singing on our record. Yeah, that's cool. And I mean, I'm going to get choked up. To, no, you know, I'm getting goosebumps. It, but, but, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, I wish she were here to to see it because I'm a fan of that band and that 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 voice because of her and here we are kind of coming full circle you know all these years later and uh that is something that that i can't even explain how much that means to me she may not see it but she's definitely going to hear it yeah i appreciate that yeah, yeah and I, i'd like to i think so too yeah. and uh you know it's it's something that uh you know that's something that I, that will always mean an incredible amount to me to have him ha- on that song with us it's a weird thing losing a parent. It is. And my is. my mother was the one who was a country music fan. She was the music fan in the family. I got my love of music from my mother. It's it's funny you say that about how strange it is losing a parent. I know this is off topic That's of well, music, yeah, but sorry. you know, what doesn't matter. But um it, it it's really something that I was I was the first out of my core group of longtime friends to lose a parent. And while my friends were amazing and they they helped me through mm-hmm. this this very, very tough and tragic sudden loss it's really it's different when you talk to somebody who has lost a parent a hundred percent sure it's interesting because there are, there's been people that i've barely know that i've bonded with because we've had been in a similar situation yep you know and uh it's it's a tough it's a tough you know tough nut to to crack uh is with a yeah. lot of that but part of part of why i do this is because of my influences in my life, which were my grandpa, my dad, my mom, and uh, we're going to keep doing this and, and keep pushing forward with the shootouts. And my mom and my grandpa, uh, we're both a big part of that. For folks who don't understand, can you explain the significance of Michael Stanley? <laughs> well, you know. Getting outside of Ohio, I, you know, people are like, oh, what? Huh? You know? Yeah. So it's I'm I'm gonna let you in on a secret. Me and some friends have a idea for a band, and someday we're gonna do it. And the band name is Regional Bruce. And the reason why is that every region has their Bruce Springsteen. Oh wow! <laughs> you know, 
And if you think about uh, Donny Iris, or you think about John Eddy, or you think about um, Willie Nile to a point, Michael Stanley is was a regional Bruce for Cleveland. Uh, now, that being said, he was a monster around northeastern Ohio. To this day, he still holds attendance records for some of the largest venues in northeastern Ohio. Mm-hmm. Blossom Music Center, yep. which is our outdoor shed. I think it's 20-some yep. thousand people, probably almost... Close to probably 25,000, somewhere in there. He did a four-night run back in, I think it was the early 80s, somewhere in there, maybe late 70s, early 80s, mid-80s. And he sold that venue out four nights in a row. Nobody has done that since. Wow. I mean, he was as big of a star as you could get that, unfortunately, nobody outside of Northeastern Ohio, you know, really latched on to. Now, he certainly had pockets throughout the country where he he still had some some fans and some fame and some coverage. St. Louis was a big market for Michael Stanley as well. But um but really, you know, he was he was as big as it gets around here. And and especially if you're of a certain age, if you're uh you're in the kind of in the boomer category, you know, you you couldn't help but you know, you couldn't get away from the Michael Stanley stuff. And easy, easy now, Ryan. I'm a Gen Xer. <laughs> well, correct. That's true. Yeah, but here's the thing. But but you're also from Ohio. That's true. That's true. I think that, and you know, I'm not. I'm uh, I'm I'm definitely not a boomer either. But I think that we we grew up with it. You know what I mean? Like I we grew up around it. You, I don't think you could be a musician in Northeastern Ohio without that influence, even if even unintentionally. He was a good guy. He was solid. He was quiet, but when he had something to say, you know, he he was uh, very sharp-witted. He was he was a he was a, g- a great guy and he was Cleveland's favorite son. When he passed away, man, it was all the flags were at half staff in northeastern Ohio. And here's the thing. He had an amazing career. Yeah, was it only throughout one state mostly? Sure. Was he able to to, to make a great living, play for rabid fans? Um he ended up becoming a radio host, very successful radio host on WNCX for many, many years. He did a, he hosted a television show in Cleveland for many years. So, was he successful? Well, you yeah, I think you could say he was. Was it by everybody's level of standards? Well, you know who gives a shit. Exactly. He was no Big Chuck and Little John, that's for sure. Well, that's a tough act to follow. That is a tough yeah. But uh, one of the songs on the record is a Michael Stanley cover. And we decided that uh, I, I heard the acoustic version of that song. If you go back and listen to the, to the 1980 Heartland uh, version of that, of that song, it does not sound anything like our version. But I, and it, it, it's hard to even picture the two side by side. But I heard Michael's acoustic version. And I said, boy, that would make a great country song. And I took it to the band and they kind of thought I was crazy. They, none of them got it at first. And I said, let's just try it. Let's work it up. Let's see what happens. We, we worked it up and everybody fell in love. And now uh, out, of the, out of the band, uh, you know, Emily and Kevin, they'll tell you it's their favorite song on the album. Told by you 
That is our official single. It's it's maybe not what you would expect out of a single for us. I think maybe you would expect something like Better Things to Do. Yeah. But I also think that that this shows another side of what we do. It's also it's an incredibly catchy song. I think that there's potential for folks that um, that I think there might be potential for us to grab some new folks with a song like this as well. And uh, and of course, it doesn't hurt to have the silky smooth background vocals of Raul Malo on it either. So, well, what do you say? Country music for people who don't like country. Boom. So the record, unless I'm mistaken, drops on February 23rd, which also happens to be it's February 24th. 20, 24th. Okay. Yes. Which coincides with your Grand Ole Opry <laughs> date, right? It, it's it's still weird hearing people say that. By the way, really, it's it's, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. We are uh, we were blown away. I mean, the fact that uh, that we get to do what we love and that we get to go on the most mm. important stage in country music. Absolutely, it's it is the Super Bowl of country music. Uh, the fact that we get to do that is not lost on us. And one of our members of our team, she said, "This is a monumental occasion. Mm-hmm. Needs to be treated as such." And and we we are so excited. We we cannot wait to. To be there and, and soak it all in and, and 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 that room is full of a lot of juju yeah. and you yeah. know and and um, and you know it's funny because the Grand Old Opry has been at the Opry House now for almost as long as it was at the Ryman you know so it's it's become its own special special venue uh, we we are absolutely honored and and we've worked with WSM in the past we've been on WSM uh, for multiple interviews and such they played the heck out of the last two records they've been so kind to us. For them to come out swinging like that for us uh, and, and invite us to be on the Opry means a lot. But uh, something else I think is great about that is if you look back at the last year, the Opry is really extending its hand to a lot of up-and-coming country acts, a lot of up-and-coming Americana acts, roots music acts. Um, I think it would be easy for them to sit back and, and just continue to do what they've always done. But they've really made a step towards inclusion hmm. of of the Americana genre of of all these little subgenres of country um, and you know I mean Charlie Crockett Sierra Farrell uh, Mike and the Moon Pies uh, you know Joshua Ray Walker on and on and on some really great up and coming honky tonk Americana Western swing country acts they've all made their debut over the last year a uh, last year or two and uh, there's another fantastic singer songwriter named Charles Wesley Godwin. Okay. Uh, who's who's fantastic? Very roots country Americana. He's making his debut uh, like a week before we are. Uh, you know, it, they're they're really doubling down on young talent right now at the Opry, which is is so cool to see, and it's so cool to be a part of that. And we, I mean, when we got the phone call, I openly wept. I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed to say that. What a moment, right? I mean, this was meant to be a side project, and now we're playing the Grand Old Opry. I think uh, I think uh, two words can sum it up. Fucking A. 
Fucking A. I mean, you know, we are also going to be having an official South by Southwest wow. showcase. Wow. Uh, which is pretty exciting. Uh, we're going to be playing the Continental Club, as, as I'm pretty sure, uh, during South by Southwest. But uh, we're also getting ready to announce like a 40 city tour that starts the day after the Opry. So we're going to be all over the place. We're going to be, uh, gosh, in Texas, in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, in Kentucky. In Illinois and Indiana, we're going to be all over. We have a very busy uh, spring and summer coming up. We can't wait to see where the record takes us. And, uh, you know, all you can do is is work your ass off on a, on a record like this. Put it out there and hope that others love it as much as you do. I am pretty confident they will. Thank you. Better Things to Do is such a scorcher. <laughs> <laughs> what a track. And you know, that's kind of our wheelhouse, man. We like those flashy, fun. If you go back to the first two records, you'll find that that we we tend to live in in that genre quite well, which is the kind of the fun, upbeat barn burners. And uh it, it you know, people always love fast songs. Yeah. The guitar work is really, really strong. <laughs> yeah, I mean Brian Poston, man, and so here's a funny story about that song. When when we when we when Marty came into the studio to play on that play mandolin on that song brian was there and he said what do you need me to play guitar for you got brought you know this guy right here so i mean marty was incredibly incredibly encouraging of brian and you know marty said i don't want to play electric guitar you got yourself electric yeah. guitar player it's uh, the the solo work in that song took me back to you know some of the really awesome chicken pickers you know like junior brown yeah. was, uh, junior brown's the first name that came to mind when i heard that that specific song Sure. Um, sure, sure. Just a killer, killer tune and a killer, killer yeah. guitar solo. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, man. Playing with Brian has really been a joy. He's first off, he's a sweetheart of a guy, um, soft spoken, friendly, easygoing. But I, I don't think I've ever played with anybody, and and really, even on some of the folks I played with out of Nashville, that are as musically, just naturally musically gifted as Brian. Well, thank you. We should wrap up. I- I feel like we could talk for another hour so easily. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, we absolutely so sure. could. Thank and, you. and I'll tell you what, it's it's always so... Oh, thank you. It's always so much fun talking to other music lovers. Because, I mean, I, I am I am a, a literally a, a music nerd. And, and uh, yeah. I, I I live and breathe music. I, I love it. I, and, and obviously, I, I think that shows in what we do as the shootouts. And, and a lot, all of us in the band are that way. And it's always fun to talk to other like-minded folks that really truly uh you know like digging deep when it comes to talking about music and so i i really truly appreciate you guys asking me to be here no man thanks for doing it and i and i and i think my third album theory is gonna prove true let's hope i'll let's we'll come back before we'll come back before the fourth record and let's see what, let's see <laughs> <laughs> so in closing akron boasts lebron devo the black keys Earthquaker devices and the shootouts and the pretenders, please, for the love of God and the pretenders. I, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> and the pretenders for crying out loud. Listen, don't you don't don't let Chrissy Hyde find out you left her off a list. <laughs> yeah, right. Chrissy doesn't get left off of many of Keith's lists. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't. I love listen. I love the pretenders. I love them. Loving it up. She was my first rock and roll crush. That Pretenders 2 album where she's in the, yeah. the puffy pirate shirt and the black leather pants. Oh. I'll tell you what, oh. we, we did an event. Uh, before the shootouts, I did an event where I, I opened opened for her. And uh, 
it was interesting. I mean, she she is exactly what what people say she is. She can be a little cold up front, a little abrasive up front. She's very guarded, uh, but once you get to know her, she she warms up. But uh, I have a guitar that I I've had autographed by a lot of the folks that we've worked with and played with and stuff. And and she was nice enough to autograph it for me. Uh, I'll rattle off a few of them. But Steve Earle, Cheryl Crow, Marty Stewart, Elvis Costello, uh, Chrissy Hine, Lucinda Williams, Ray Benson. Uh, Patty Griffin, Nick Lowe, all these folks have been kind enough to si- sign this thing for me. So that's a hell of a flex to end with. <laughs> <laughs> Beat that, Charlie oh. Crockett. <laughs> <laughs> thank you again, Ryan. This was really fun. Yeah, thank you. Anytime, guys. Thank you so, yeah. so much. Take care, man. Thank you, Ryan. Have a great night. You too. You too. Bye bye. Many thanks to Ryan Humbert and Josh Zanger. Our theme song is Rocket Sled by Blip. Abandoned Albums was recorded at Thunder Love Studios. Written and produced by Keith R. Higgins and Jeff Calhoun. Engineered and mixed by Steve Beasley with the help of Mike Hunt. Edited by A.J. Royce. The songs you heard during this podcast were Better Things to Do, Rattlesnake Whiskey, I Want to Dance with Somebody, and I'll Never Need Anyone More. You can stream the shootouts wherever you stream your favorite music. And be sure to head over to shootoutsmusic.com for their upcoming tour dates. Original music by Mike Pellegrino. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating. It really does help. Thanks for listening. At Twitter, we are at Abandoned Albums. And on Instagram, we are at Abandoned underscore Albums. Grazie. Bailey Leaf. Rob Janicki. Mike Pellegrino. Therina Vella. Ronnie Barnett. S.W. Loudon. Michael Janicki. Peyton Janicki. And our executive producer. This is Thunderlove. And now, until we meet again next time, I remain as always obediently yours. Abandoned Albums is a production of Paw Print Media. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shot? Would they shot? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom is dead. My mom is right there. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, 
plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.